Hello and welcome back to the Heisey Brothers devotional podcast. I'm David and I'm here once again with my brother Jonathan. Hello everybody. If you're just joining us, we're in the midst of a theological reading of Genesis. But in the last episode, we talked a little bit more about science and the Bible and how the two can sometimes seem in conflict and how that conflict can come to a resolution. If you haven't already, we encourage you to go back and have a listen to that episode as well. However, it isn't necessary for the purposes of listening to and understanding this episode. So join us as we continue our reading into Genesis. Today we're going to touch on Genesis chapter 6 through 8. We may not read all of the passages, but we encourage you to follow along in your Bible and read what we don't so that you can have the full context of the story and have a fuller understanding as we progress through this. Absolutely. Like we said, we are taking a theological view of all this. So we're looking at the story as a whole and really looking for, well, what do we know about God and the human condition from all of this? So that's going to be uh, some of what we highlight throughout all of this. And then ultimately, we will read the first few verses of chapter 9, where God establishes a covenant with Noah and his family, which I believe is a pretty important covenant, hmm. which will you know be the first of... A few down the line will eventually get to the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, among among others. So, Absolutely. Shall we get into it? Sure, let's do it. All right, so Genesis chapter 6, wickedness in the world. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. The Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. All right, let's stop there for a bit. So, We talked in the previous episode about a few of the ideas at the beginning, you know, how some people have kind of taken the tinfoil hat with the Nephilim and all that kind of stuff. But what we're going to focus on here is more, you know, what is going on with God. So, you know, going back to 6.5, or verse 5, rather, the wickedness of men seems to be absolute. Mm. What do you think about that? I think that that is definitely something that is uh, very descriptive of the human beings that were present at the time. I think that that is descriptive of the human condition in general. You know, we've gone from walking closely with God in the Garden of Eden, whether you think of that in terms of a, a literal garden or, or a uh, spiritual garden of Eden, we had a much closer relationship with God at the beginning of all things. And now we seem to have sort of fallen away from that relationship, and we have fallen into the depths of sin and depravity. Indeed. And in the very next verse, it describes how God regretting that he made mankind. 
Now, if God is all-knowing and he knew this was going to happen, why would this happen this way? What are, what are some of your thoughts on God's regret here? I think as you touched on in the last episode, uh, God really is mourning here. He's in mourning of the, of the state of humans as they are. I think that God knew that this was going to happen, uh, but just as God is, is always faithful to fulfill his promises, God made a promise to Eve, as I had talked about in, in the last episode. God made a promise to Eve that her offspring would bear a savior who would crush the head of the serpent, right? We Christians, we, we have this understanding of the serpent as being the Satan, right, or the Satan, uh, the uh, the one who tempted Eve in the garden and the one who uh, is the cause of, you know, our temptations and uh, our, our, he is the source of our, under, well, one of the sources of our understanding of evil. Exactly. And one of the points that we're getting in here, too, is the necessity for God's judgment in this scenario. Because ultimately, you know, we first see a bit of God's judgment by saying, I have to limit the time that they spend on earth to only 120 years because they're multiplying fast. So in one sense, human, humanity is fulfilling part of the covenant of be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, but they're doing it in an extremely broken way in which everything is evil. All of these inclinations are just for pure evil, which is just a distortion of what God intended for all of his creation. So because there's so much evil, I think it would actually be unjust of God not to address it hmm. somehow. You know, I, I think ultimately having that lack of judgment would be a lack of justice for everything that's going on. And we see that in the midst of God's justice, he also recognizes mercy in one sense too. It says here in verse 8 that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Mm -hmm. you know, and later we'll read that he was a righteous man who continued to walk with God. So yes, in verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Exactly. So this is kind of the beginning of God's instruction for Noah to make the ark. And he's giving him instructions in order to survive. So this is almost a beginning of the new covenant in one sense. And again, it's kind of a conditional covenant. So we're also using this word a lot, covenant. Hmm. What do you think that word means? Well, a covenant is a, is a relationship between two individuals, right? And it's, it's a promise that each individual is going to hold up their end of the bargain, right? Uh, it's an agreement. Um, and one of the one of the tenets of sort of an under, one of the ancient understandings of a covenant is they would actually, when they would make a covenant, they would slaughter an animal and lay its entrails out and like cut it in half and and walk among their entrails and say, 
essentially, if I break this covenant, may I be like this animal whose entrails were trotting or something like that. Uh, I think I had heard that at one one point. So it was a it was a big deal. It was making a very solemn promise that you were going to do something and that someone else was also going to hold up their end of a, of a certain agreement or bargain. Exactly. And what we see in a lot of these historical settings is that typically there's a disparity of power between the two people making the covenant. So often it might even be a master and slave relationship where the master is making a promise not to be harsh, not to be cruel, not to be unjust to his servant. And in return to that, the servant will be very faithful in his work and obedient and all this kind of stuff. That's a very basic example, but I think it's important for us to also understand our relationship to God. You know, the fact that God is ultimately way more powerful than us. He can do all of these things, and yet he makes an agreement with us that he's going to hold up his end of the deal. Hmm. You know, and that's a, a really amazing thing that God does in this, and it's something that, frankly, we don't see in other cultures. We don't see agreements made between God and humanity at this level of something more than just, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Hmm. You know, often in other cultures, you would see humans trying to bargain with God, like, hey, if I go do this thing for you, will you give me all the power? Will you make me a king? Will you make me all that? Right. But that's not the dynamic of these covenants. It's right. more like... Doing doing a rain dance to the great sugar daddy in the sky so that you get yeah. what you want, you know? That's not really a covenant in right. this sense. It's a very different relationship where often, you know, in fact, 100% of the time, God is the initiator of this too. He picks somebody, he, he elects somebody, and he makes the promise that's going to end up blessing the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's... Having looked at that, I want to touch on verse 18 really quick of chapter 6, where God says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring two of all the living creatures, male and female, and to keep them alive with you. So God gives furthermore instructions, but again, he's indicating that he's going to begin a covenant. Mm. And then in verse 22, we also see that it says Noah did everything just had, as God had commanded him to do. So Noah was being faithful and keeping up his end of the bargain right? throughout all this stuff. Yeah, and that's important. Um, it's important for us today to keep up our end of uh, the covenant agreements that, that we've made with God. You know, the New Testament is the new covenant. It's not just... Uh, it's not just God saved us. It's it's our also agreement to be in repentance, to be in service to Christ, to be in that covenant relationship. Uh, it's you know we oftentimes as Christians sometimes become lazy in our in our understanding of this new covenant, but God is very clear that He calls us to action and to service. Indeed, it's it's a covenant as grace as well. God. Or Jesus does say, I believe in the gospel of John. I'll have to double check the citation. I think it's John 15, 16. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hmm. You know, and this becomes a relationship-based covenant, you know, where ultimately it's God's unmerited favor coming down on us and giving us grace. You know, it's through grace that we are saved, not by any of our works. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. And yet God saves us and he brings us into him. And 
ultimately everything, all of these instructions that he gives to us are to bless us, mm. that we can experience life fuller in him rather than having to earn salvation as had previously thought was required. Yeah. Is it safe to say that the story of Noah is one of the first, if not the first, salvation story where God saves his, his faithful or God saves the faithful? I think it probably is a very good indication of that, especially because in the midst of salvation stories like this, we tend to see God making a covenant at that time. Mm. So skipping ahead, um, in the next few chapters, you can get all of the details of what was going on in the story you know, in terms of Noah making the ark, the floodwaters coming, everything being wiped away, the details of how many days and nights they were there and some of the events that happened and how that took place, which is definitely good to read. But I think we'll move on to chapter 8 here. And 8-1, I think, has a, a really important thing. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him on the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. So God had promised Noah that he wasn't going to leave him on the, war, on the ark, you know, in the midst of the waters indefinitely. He said, I'll remember you. I've got this. And this is the verse where it's like, okay, God is holding up his end of the deal. God is faithful. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. It's a very common theme in Genesis that we see over and over again. And not only in Genesis, but in the rest of Scripture as well. Absolutely. So the springs closed and the, the rain stopped falling. God blew, this, God blew this wind over the waters. The waters dry up and the, the, the uh, ark comes to rest on the mountains. Um, and the waters continue to recede and so on and so forth. And then, and then God calls them out of the ark when the time is appropriate. And I think it's really interesting here. What is Noah's first action after coming out of the ark. He worships. Mm, he sets up an altar, yeah. He sets up an altar. So in verse 20, then God, the, excuse me, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though their every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Yeah, so that's an important covenant promise that God makes here, that he's not going to destroy the earth. I think that that's one that we as Christians sometimes take for granted, because we see the apocalyptic events in Revelation as being ones that are going to destroy the earth. But in point of fact, God never actually says he's going to literally destroy the earth in Revelation. What he says is he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And our understanding of that is that he's going to redeem heaven and earth and make them new again. Because through Christ, all things are made new. Exactly. And the thing that we'll experience there as well is the promise of the resurrection, which mm. is to come. You know, it's... I think a common misconception in the Christian faith is the idea of you die and you go to heaven like your ghost leaves your body and then you live on this ethereal plane for all eternity. And we forget that the whole point of Christ's bodily resurrection was to raise this physical body from the dead. Um, in Jewish theology, actually, 
they don't even believe is this in a ghostly soul that is separate mm. from the body. You are your soul. You know, the, this fleshy thing, this is it. And I think there's a lot of merit to that, actually, in terms of what we see with the human mind and psychology and how a lot of things that are physiological affect our outlook in life and we say that affects my very soul. Hmm. You know, so I think it's entirely plausible and most likely true that, you know, this, the physical world is what God created for us to be. And it, 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 it is everything. It's, you know, it, it's not quite naturalism of saying this is only all that there is, but it's saying it's, it's the real core of what everything is. And there's more to it than what we think there is. Hmm. So... I mean, we there there are two extremes to that. There's like the naturalist view, which is that we are we are uh, simply physical beings without a soul, and then there's sort of the Gnostic view, which is that we are spirit, and that the flesh is evil, and exactly <laughs> and we don't want to we don't want to stray into Gnosticism either. But Gnosticism has, in some ways, crept its way into our into our theology. In true Christian doctrine, there is definitely a symbiotic relationship between the spiritual and the physical. Uh, Eden was supposed to be this place where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth met, right, in this in this place. And that was sort of the motif of the temple was, the, you know, the, during the temple period, the temple was supposed to be this place where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth met. And now that we are in a post-temple era, Christ himself is supposed to be the new temple. He's supposed to be the new Eden. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, there is there is this place where the spiritual and the physical meet, and uh, and you know it's it's not necessarily a good thing to discount the spiritual world, and it's not necessarily a good thing to discount the physical either. There there's a symbiotic relationship between the two. Absolutely. So moving on into the beginning of chapter nine. God expands his covenant with Noah. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of, of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky and every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish of the sea. They are given to, into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I have given you the green plants, now I give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that come out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. 
And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. Now that seems to get kind of repetitive at the end. What are your thoughts on that? Well, in Hebrew, repetition was a sign of emphasis. Uh, And when you repeated something three times, it was the ultimate emphasis. Like when you repeated something twice, it was like, hey, stupid, (laughs) pay attention. When you repeated it three times, it was like, okay, come on now. (laughs) This is God going for the triple dog dare you. Right. It's the ultimate emphasis. So there's a lot of comfort here in these promises that God is really emphasizing never again will you be subject to an absolute wipeout, you know, by flood and water in the way that this has happened. And ultimately, God is bringing us closer to him in all of this. He's saying, I'm going to take care of you for all your needs. And at the beginning, we can also see that this seems to be conditional, too. So he's saying, you can have meat, you can eat from it, but drain the lifeblood. You know, God is calling us to be set apart in some way. What are some of your thoughts that came up in that passage? I mean, God makes it very clear that there's a commandment not to kill other human beings here. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, he's already setting up some sort of an idea of justice, right? An idea of morality and justice here. Uh, so um, he's sort of setting up this idea that if you kill somebody, we're going to kill you back. Yeah. Uh, good old Texas loves to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But, well, and it says right in the, the verse here that everybody will have to give an account to God. Even animals will have to give an account for humans that they kill, hmm. which is an interesting thing. We tend to think of animals as not being related to this, and yet God includes animals in this covenant. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it when people talk about evil and people talk about uh, nature and how nature is deadly. Uh, I've I've heard it said that you know nature is not evil in its dangerousness or or deadliness. Nature is just nature. Um, we are the ones who are stepping into that foray, if you will. We're stepping into their backyard, and when we do, we um, we are the ones taking that taking on that risk and taking on the burden of. Uh, taking on the burden of making sure that we do so carefully and safely. Um, if an animal comes across us and kills us because we have done something stupid, wouldn't that necessarily be more on the sapiens, yeah. <laughs> the homo sapiens that have supposed that are supposed to know better? That's I mean that's one man's opinion, but yeah. I, as I said in the last episode, I really think that a lot of this may be somewhat um, expound, expounded upon by the writers of Genesis um, and sort of the uh, sort of the oral tradition that has come through um, 
but the the major tenets are important ones for us to understand today. Um, they are, you know, important for the sake of knowing who God is and what He's capable of. Uh, this, that's why this is a, for me, a spiritual truth much more than it is a historical one. Indeed. Ultimately, what we were looking at here is, you know, what did we learn about God today? <laughs> you know, to quote, so I, with VeggieTales, and so Make, we yes. have learned applies to our lives today. Yep, please don't no, sue us, Phil. We're, we're, <laughs> we're dating ourselves so much here. Millennials uh, in action! <laughs> homeschooled millennials who grew up with vi- with video cassette tapes of VeggieTales. VHS for life! <laughs> so... Yes, we can see here that God responds with judgment to evil that occurs, and yet he's also merciful in his judgment. And that ultimately, when he delivers his people, he makes a covenant promise with them, and he's faithful to keep his promises. Absolutely. So with that being said, I hope that you have hopefully learned something new and have and found yourself to be a little bit in, more enlightened, and that I hope this brings you closer to God and your walk with him every day. Mm. And if you like this podcast, be sure to like, share, subscribe. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are listened to or, or heard. Uh, find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and all of that jazz. See you next time. <laughs>